Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Have to, okay, very tricky with that, Jason. Uh, uh, my my wife and I, when we were on a trip abroad to a certain place that I will remain will remain unnamed, but there was a. A very <laughs> prominent wait, caribou. Wines there? What? What do you mean? Why do you? No, I was in Istanbul, and you guys were going to go. Ooh, you was in Dubai. Where did you go? I don't understand. Why would you? Why are you not naming right. it? Uh, Istanbul used to have a very uh-huh. prominent caribou coffee that was like five stories. Not sorry, more than five stories. Had a had it was like a giant, giant building that had a like a rooftop terrace. The one of the nicest coffee shops I've ever been in. Super fan, just like. Had a, just the most baller caribou, and I remember when I saw it first time many years ago, I was like, "Why the fuck is there a caribou coffee here of all places?" That's Who's actually outside a, of. Aaron's a huge yeah. fan of Turkish coffee. Uh, every time he talks about it, he's <laughs> just talking about caribou. That one caribou that he went to that just changed. Oh his my life. god, it's so special! And it's just some lady named like Rebecca behind the counter, it's like this mocha, is just a yeah. dark blend. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, but then we we went back recently, and it's uh, no longer there. It's been converted to like a pizza restaurant or something, but that was like this, this was the now? farthest. Yeah, Minnesota culture, <laughs> apart from like Prince, this was the farthest that it had gone, and uh, it's, it's gone now. So you know, hate to say it, Minnesota's day in the sun maybe maybe over, folks. I don't know. Ooh, ooh, well, it's up closed. Can I take this one? And we're talking about the decline of American culture today on. <laughs> Trilove Podcast. It's a Ooh. literal roundtable podcast hosted by me, Harry Mackin. Uh, thesaurus boy would be more appropriate. Was going to be the quote that I said, but I'm 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 commandeering much like Cyrus the virus commandeering. Yeah. The oh, I see. I'm letting I'm him commandeering do this. The hosting for the safety of here. our guest. Was right. this talked about beforehand? I wasn't. No, I'm going to assume. Oh, okay. Dude. It's trial. Oh, yeah, that's after this is dark. The, I'm just I, going is, at it. This is my favorite Look, way I took to over do the plane. comedy. I, welcome to Con Air. Much, much like uh, Cyrus having to kind of maneuver around different obstacles to his master plan, Harry will now try and get an introduction out that makes right. any sort of sense. Harry, much, continue, much, please. Yes, thank you. Much like John Malkovich was a strange choice for this particular role. Uh, despite being sort of a crowd favorite, um, I'm a strange choice for the role of host, but I am also a crowd favorite, you- according to someone probably someday. Uh, Jason, what are we talking about on this podcast? Jason, I've never appreciated you more than this moment. I want to. I want you to know that right now. Listen, we're all uh, good at something. I'm a regular, a regular hound dog, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. All right, let's do this properly. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I have the only mic on board. Welcome to Code Air. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. My name's Aaron, and I'm a regular, a regular hound dog, and I pick the same quotation as Jason, uh, unfortunately. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. I did it with a semi-southern accent, though, so although I was technically late, you know, um, uh, yeah. That's what I, I would I would say that your uh, diatribe about 
Istanbul caribou coffee is probably probably evens out the whole uh, southern charm That's thing. Fair. But but I I, I I do have to say as I've uh, regained control of the plane, it's it's my plane now. Um, we have a hostage for this episode. Uh, <laughs> what is your name? Considering my audience, I'm going to make this very quick and very simple. My name is Finn Odom, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Finnomatic. I appreciate and it. You're everybody's uh, favorite host, Finn. Unfortunately, I have to kick you now because we do have a certain like door policy. You you must know the 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 the, the phrase. You must have something to say. So just mute yourself for the rest of the show if that's okay. Um, cool. Today, uh, I should just get out of the way. We've we're back on our Nick Cage bullshit. We're back in in the cage. It's a cage. It's a cage rematch. Um, after a few Ooh, episodes of being, yeah, I like that. Uh, after a few episodes of being away, you can look forward to more republishings of our previous episodes about Nick Cage films, just because we have covered a statistically significant number of them before. Uh, but for right now, um, I'm going to let Aaron take it away with uh, with a quick summary of the movie we're going to talk about today, which is yes, as was previously named but not prefaced correctly. We are talking about not just Con Air. We are talking about the twice Academy Award nominated film Con Air. Directed by Simon West, uh, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. I usually don't say who produced the films, but in this case, I mean, Jerry it's pretty important. <laughs> pretty, pretty important to name here. Um, starring Nicolas Cage as Army Ranger, uh, Sergeant Cameron Poe, who returns home from duty uh, to his pregnant <laughs> wife uh, just in time to get into the dumbest bar fight of all time, where he kills a man. With uh, like the special ranger wife. punch. How did he do yeah, that? He, do, he does the upper. He does the uppercut one. Um, he the judge tells him. Brain, yeah. The judge tells him that uh, due to his military training, he is considered a deadly weapon, uh, which is an aspect of the law that I did not look up uh, in preparation for this podcast. No, it checks out. Assume checks out. No, lines up one to one with yep. real life. Yes, and due to this, he's to serve seven years in jail for manslaughter. Uh, the time goes by. Poe is set to be released uh, and is transported on a large. A cargo jet on a flight to Alabama. Also on the flight are a number of highly dangerous inmates being transported to a supermax prison. Uh, among them, notorious criminal Cyrus the Virus, played here in maybe the uh, second largest villain miscasting of all time by John Malkovich, uh, who has a scheme to hijack the plane, kill the guards, and transport all of the criminals to freedom. Uh, also of note, uh, in this film, uh, John Cusack as U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, uh, Rachel Ticotin uh, as Sally Bishop, a uh, guard on the plane, Cole Meany as a DEA agent, uh, Steve Buscemi as the first largest villain miscasting of all time, uh, and Ving Rhames, uh, Michaelty Williamson, Dave Chappelle, Danny Trejo, uh, and various others uh, as convicts on the plane. Uh, the film's critical reception was a little mixed, uh, but it was a pretty large uh, financial success um, in It along with the previous Nick Cage film, The Rock, and subsequent Nick Cage film, Face Off, The Rock in 96, and then uh, uh, Con Air and Face Off in 97, kind of helped to make up uh, uh, the, the scare quotes here, holy trinity of Cage's 1990s action films. Uh, Finn, I believe you're a big fan of this film. You you were like, need to chat Con Air. Uh, uh, what's the deal? What are your What are your thoughts on the film? Why do you love it? Why do you want to chat about it? If this had been like several months ago, um, I wouldn't have been super into talking about Con Air. Um, but about like a month and a half ago, I had a conversation with a uh, film professor who won't be named because I don't want to give him clout. And we were talking about the Cage series and he had the audacity of saying to my face that Sweet Home Alabama is a lesser song <laughs> um, than the Neil Young or whatever the Canadian thing is. And uh, there are, there are things I don't take kindly to as someone who was 
born in the South and has a lot of family in the South. And a two-bit punk from Ohio saying that Sweet Home Alabama <laughs> is a good song, especially in the context of Con Air. Uh, that's not one of those things. So I do so think that... That was the... Like, that's the thing? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, that rocks. You want me well, to that's... talk about, like, Homestuck? Because we can go into that, although I don't think you know what that is. <laughs> I know what um, We're not at no. yeah. old. Come on. <laughs> We're not Gen Z, but yeah, we're... Uh, my my favorite video game journalists do a podcast on Homestuck. Thank you very much. That doesn't... Uh, excuse I'm thinking, excuse I'm me, I was a... the grave deeper. Yeah, that sentence... I was a bigger fan real. of uh, Crime Sleuth. Boom. How do you like that? Yeah. I don't... Okay, well, well yeah, sorry, like, continue. When I was a teenager, my friends and I read Homestuck, and none of us had seen Con Air. And we kept quoting Con Air, specifically the put the bunny back in the box... Because um, we thought it was like this big funny thing that the main character loved this movie. And they, for those who don't know, because they're probably sane, there's an entire like end of an act where they reenact Con Air, but with like lizards and clones. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but are it was like a big part of my like. The, they're clones hmm? and they're lizards. Are there lizard clones? Lizards and the, clones. Okay, the lizards are the yeah. original iteration of the lizard. No. It's more complicated than that. Please don't ask oh, any more wow. clarifying questions about Homestuck. Uh, you know what? That's a good point. Harry, right, yes, sorry. I don't you. want to think about it more than I already am. <laughs> can I Can um, I ask a clarifying question? Um, did, who else noticed for the first time during this screening, which we just got out of, uh, that can Nick, you Cage's tell? Outfit, Nick Cage's outfit is literally exactly what Jean-Claude Van Damme wears in Hard Target? Like, that's his exact out, like yeah, wardrobe yeah. to even, a T. He even ripped off a signature roundhouse kick at one point, or a signature spin kick. He oh, was really was so shot hot. in the arm. It rocks a little Van Damme so much. English on that one. He's like a southern, you know, hardworking, like, yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of the Hollywood perception of, like, the, the kind of, the southern, like, kind of rebel, but not in that kind of way, but still kind of rebellious, uh, like, fighting up to save the day kind of hero like I, yeah i mean protecting the weak and innocent and those southern values in a good context it is a thing. it is um, a working man's outfit it is the wash jeans yes. it is the sleeveless um i'm not going to say the colloquial tank it's the bruce, it's it's the bruce springsteen type of outfit you know white yeah. short sleeve or no sleeve it's, top blue it's jeans. the thing you wear underneath your outfit for the job that you are doing you wear the the coat the bomber jacket, the whatever for your plumbing gig, your your real hands on gig over the top of the stick it, top. Yes, let's dig into that, Aaron. We only have an hour. Um, yeah. What is the job he's doing in this movie? Uh, he is uh, killing. Well, so one, he's doing the most noble job, which is being a troop. So, it's, and in terms of like American action films, troop that's up, that's up, that's the top right there. I mean, in terms of the films, not my personal political views, and that's what he is. Uh, and he is he is even worse, which is he is a troop that is like been wronged by the justice system, you know, and it, but is still noble in the face of, of some great injustice. You know? That, that so ter- those terrible, infamously liberal Southern judges really threw the book at this yeah, combat yeah. veteran Isn't for it, uh, harming a man in self-defense, just like they would in this fucking liberal it, wasteland we call America, right? Isn't right, it ironic... Fellas? Isn't it ironic that he's literally put away for having the skills that the U.S. government fucking taught him? He's a true product of the system, dude. Dude, hell yeah. yeah. Perfect specimen. I mean, the 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 one effort to make this serious before we start actually talking about the movie Con Air is that, like, like there there was kind of a large string of 
especially like mid 1990s, late 1990s movies, I think because I mean, so he's coming home from like Desert Storm, right? Uh, Kind of on the heels of a bunch of, let's say, kind of international events, whatever you want to call them, uh, kind of more complicated kind of politics in regard to like international affairs. And the idea that like these people are, are going abroad and they're fighting and they're coming back and they're just getting, they're getting mistreated, right? They're getting put into jail because they're, they're a weapon. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the movie before this, the rock is very much about like fucking, there's all these troops who were let down by the government. Right. And that's why all this bad stuff happens. And that kind of culminates in nine 11, but like, the late 1990s was like full of good troops being good guys and like troops being bad guys because the government screwed them over and the government's really the bad guys, but in kind of a conservative way. Yeah. Anyway, I know. I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I, didn't really I just really love that you, you said there was like this, this real through line of, of American combat vets being mistreated by the government in that culminated well, yeah. in 9-11 as in if like media. did 9-11 actually. <laughs> I think we, we just got very radical on this Look, podcast. Once, once we get Jesse Ventura on the podcast, we'll have some <laughs> other opinions about that. Um, we'll give this engine some real gas. Um, yeah. So this movie, uh, I think inarguably, uh, but well, I thought inarguably before I started the walk home with Seth is like clearly a send up of eighties and early nineties action movies, like very parodical in nature, very self-aware. Seth was more convinced that it is somewhat more straight and just bad. Do we have a, like, do we have consensus on that? Uh, Personally, I think it's like quite aware of itself, quite like written as completely aware that it's, uh, you know, of what it's trying to do and rarely super sincere about any of its plot. Um, how do we feel about about that dichotomy? Does that does that apply here at all? Finn, what do you think? <sighs> does it matter even? You can make the whole I... try love, it doesn't matter, and then obscure the point thing. We do that all the time. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it really does matter personally. Um I give think me a second. I, got, I don't know if y'all Nick Cage. I don't know if yeah. y'all who were at the theater saw how hectic it was behind the um behind the scenes so just like mm-hmm. come back to me on that one honestly uh okay uh so where do we where do we start here i'm I guess. team self-aware i'm team self-aware well, I... the 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 big the big the big reveal here is how john malkovich dies at the end of this movie that is the big thing right where he is handcuffed well, I mean, it... to at one point Wait. he holds up a bunny and points a pistol at its head and says i like don't move or the bunny gets it yeah, I mean, so, some of that stuff is, like, harder to call self-aware than it is, like, I think just kind of the humor that kind of naturally started to get infused in these kind of big blockbusters, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, stuff like like a lot of, like, Independence Day is the one that's, like, coming to mind right off the top of my head. But, like, a lot of these kind of big, like, we're really spending a lot of money, we're really blowing up buildings and sets yeah. and whatnot, had that kind of humor to me. But, like, the, there's something, like, very self-aware about john malkovich getting like uh you know strapped to this this uh uh fire truck and then flown through a window and then landing on an electrical uh you know a bunch of electrical cords getting electrocuted and then landing directly like parallel on this conveyor belt and the conveyor belt brings him up and then puts him underneath underneath a hydraulic press and then the hydraulic press comes down it's like a rube goldberg machine to kill john malkovich at the end and it's like that is i think self that is like very much playing with like editing and kind of the sequencing of events to be like this 
hyper comical, uh, like I mean, I, kind of even like karmic, retro, you know, like yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind I of just, like a karmic. I think that's such a weird thing. argument because, like, I think that there are two dozen events in this movie that are equally over the top that you could. I feel like if, oh, if yeah, you didn't what, yeah. get, if you didn't get that this movie was ridiculously over the top by John Malkovich getting killed, you probably just will miss it, right? I don't know. I mean, but like the something like I, I guess I'm I'm trying to differentiate it between some like something like yeah. maybe face off like John Woo. I I would go to like something like The Killer for like John Woo versus Face yeah. Off. Face okay, Off does yeah, feel yeah. a little more. Well, but, but even Face Off is more there. sincere, right? Than this movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, like actually, you know what? Yeah, I'll just say Face Off came out the same year. Absolutely, very weirdly different movie, despite yeah. falling in the same kind of action buff bucket. We're yeah. like, yeah, this movie is like. I mean, we could talk about just like just I, the I, casting of the villains right. and kind of every single. It's just such a weird tonal yes. movie, to be honest. It's, it's very odd. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think yeah. that I think that I have like classically um, complicated feelings about that question, right? Because I think that like ultimately, this movie is fucking fascinating to me. I kind of like I. I it happened again where I spent all my powder on it because we didn't think we were ever going to record on it. So I like wrote a review and and I thought that I was done with this movie, and then it came like soldiering back into my life, not unlike Cameron Poe himself. Um, but uh, so like I think that this movie is ultimately like unquestionably conservative in its politics. It's unquestionably sort of apologia for for Desert Storm in particular, which is really funny and wild, but also for um, just sort of like American values. But it's doing that in a really, really fascinating, interesting way where it's almost, it's not, right? But it's almost a nihilist movie in that it like, it is unquestionably on the side of people who think that all of the American horrors of American culture are absolutely real and absolutely wreaking havoc on the world. Like this is a movie that does think that American culture is a very dark thing. It just also thinks that if your heart is in the right place, it is possible to square all of that culture and bring it back home to something that is redeemable. So it, it holds these two very complex ideas in its mind, in my opinion, where like there it's, it's having so much fun lampooning um, like Americana and lampooning the sort of like cops and robbers, wild, wild west frontier stuff. But it also brings it all back home. It says like, actually, me, Jerry Bruckheimer, me, like blockbusters, we can actually, if we try hard enough, square all of this and bring it all back. And it's it's like extremely good sort of like American energy at its most um, sort of like triumphant and optimistic. There's this idea that like, well, you're right. Like there was a lot of terrible shit in American history, but right now it's 1998 and we can make it all happen for us. We can really, really make this all happen in the overtime end of history stuff. I is my opinion about this movie, which is maybe why I think Seth thinks that it's like, it is sort of like, because it is very straight in that, like the I sort mean, of dumb. Like, yeah. And well, and like the silly politics that it is lampooning are also kind of genuinely its politics at the end of the day, but it gets there through like this wild circuitous like path, in my opinion. I I do think that this movie, maybe it's not like the question of if it's taking itself seriously or too self-aware, but I think it is in a way trying to be more sincere. And I, I think that it does accomplish sincerity a lot more than Face Off did. Um, and maybe that's because Cage is 
very low key for a Nicolas Cage movie. He is not the most absurd thing. And they're really like allowing him to play into that sincerity mm-hmm. about being a family man. And maybe I'm a sucker because Casey and I have the same birthday. But that opening Ooh. sequence where he's reading the letters from his daughter and back, I think that was relatively good in a way of like yeah. setting up what he cares about. And the Whoa. bunny, as stupid as it is, just like the one small I, token of that being something he cares about to the point that he drags it out of the mud. Yeah, right. there, there is right. a level of sincerity and heart. And, and to I that. really love that you brought up that scene. Sorry, Cody, this was just uh, real quick, but like, um, that uh, like when that scene was when he was reading the prison letters back and forth to first his wife and then his daughter, who is born during that sequence and then grows mm-hmm. old enough to read and write and to write him, like. I I think that's a very, very fucking effective sequence because it really did make me think like, man, there are hundreds of thousands of people right now who are incarcerated and cannot see their families and are writing notes like these to their children. And it's like, holy shit, does that suck? And holy shit, does that change the way I feel about everything that's going on here? Um, And there is something kind of fascinating about their framing of it that way and their framing of criminality in this movie in general. Um, so I, I agree with that take. I think that's a good take. It's wild. I don't think they mean to. Um, and in a way where it's like, it's silly politics that is in itself, like very conservative, but this, and I think face off both have a weird, like criticism of the carceral system that they're like, yes, this is a good old soldier. He's like a white man from Alabama who kills someone accidentally and then goes to prison for it. But he's un probably treated worse than he should he's a veteran Mm -hmm. and he gets thrown off with all these convicts and then is treated by fucking hot john cusack as just a nobody and so in a way it's like yeah he's gonna save the day and we're gonna be rooting against the villains in the end but they all are being treated awfully at the end of it um and i don't know if they there's that whole conversation about like they are just the products of the system that we have created um, and we don't have to get into that if you don't want to, because it's a little late. But I don't know. I think, oh, Harry's Harry's making a scary gesture. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he does that a lot. Um, you get used to it. it it's good fun. Um, yeah, I, I think... Your gesture, Cody. I was doing your gesture. I guess it's only creepy yeah. when I do it. I get it. Yeah. Well, I, when <laughs> I looked over, you were holding your hands above your head. I thought you were trying to, like, yes, summon something. Saying, Every Harry gesture is a scary gesture. Just going to put it a- out there. Yeah, I'm really the Steve character of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we may or may not get to him. But I first, uh, I think sincere is a, a good term to throw out, um, a, a term that I like circling back to, and I found myself circling back to just hearing y'all talk about this movie um, was uh, was earnest. Uh, this movie feels very earnest, and I, I think that is uh, the kind of spectrum you set up, Jason, I, I think is a good one, even if I think ultimately it's just like ultimately is a mishmash of like both of those extremes um, for better and for worse. But like I, the, this movie, it, it was a, it, it's a fun, it's an earnest watch that like it, it has that right mix of like, in some spaces it is like very, it feels very self-aware and it also like self-aware enough to get buy-in from like, we, we gestured at the, the cast of this movie, but like to get buy-in from Cage to do like a very specific thing and to get the buy-in from, you know, Ving Rhames and, and John Malkovich, who I do like in this movie um, to do like a very specific thing and to like get 
and like not just the people in front of the camera, but like to get the person editing the film whose name I refused to look. I I neglected to look up. I didn't refuse. He did a great job. But like this movie, like this movie doesn't take a breath. And I, I feel like everything we see on screen is like an extreme reflection of that. And I got thinking about when we were talking about um, John Woo movies. Um, not to like put this uh, director who we may or may not talk about a little bit later, spoilers for the noties, but like um, uh, putting him in the conversation with John Woo, but like it does feel as much um, uh, like a, a, like a love, not a love letter, but you know, like uh, this, like an ode to the medium as, um, as much as it feels concerned, you know, about discussing, um, you know, these or having these political discussions that we've talked about, not to say that we shouldn't talk about them, but also at times it feels like this movie doesn't have a brain for it. And maybe that's not the best thing, but also, I don't know. I, some of these sequences, the first 10 minutes are so tautly edited. And so like really, really, I think perfectly constructed um I come out of this this is the, an even more of like a technical visual masterpiece than i remembered when Ooh, yeah. um we, we fellas watched it earlier in quarantine but those are the sorts of things that i was that i was um kicking around um i suppose well and even that in and of itself is sort of evidence toward or not evidence but i take it as evidence toward my reading which is just that like they put, fucking put their entire like i don't even know remember holly wussy brookussy on us Sure. sure. Uh, into this one, right? Like every fucking shot, every angle, it's like, like, especially we talked about it a little bit, but like the second act when they're in the boneyard, this becomes like an abstract movie almost where like the, the amount of cutting away to POVs that are not of the characters, they are of the environment looking outward in or cutting to just mayhem or cutting to random characters and seemingly maybe even cutting back and forth in time i have a really harebrained theory about that that i won't get into right now but like there is no chronology to that fight sequence in the second act which i really really you, really you, appreciate just to, just to set it up to be clear you're talking about the boneyard sequence where they're yeah. all positioned pointing inward and basically creating like a kill box for all the cops right. that are showing up, well right? i mean that is that is like the last third of a sequence that is like 25 minutes long oh but yeah like there's, there's little a little yeah yeah there's tons of shit happening in there and it's all happening in this fucking like lynchian dreamscape of like there's it an abandoned gas station there's an abandoned general store there's uh a trailer park right next to this like shanty town of abandoned plane parts it's not clear why any of this is here they're in a desert that does not seem to exist on any like actual american map it, it it's fucking wild like it doesn't make any sense but it it it's so good and it's like it's just the culmination of this sort of like departure into this sort of like world of american cliche um and i really like it for that and also like i really liked what finn said because it, it literally just occurred to me or just occurred to me on this watch i should say that like john cusack is like fully the new school right like this this could easily be sort of like like a diehard sequel in which like there is a young buck who has to learn to be more like the old school and Nick Cage represents sort of like classic Americana. Whereas like John Cusack's character is repeatedly characterized in opposition to this 
old school guy. And at one point they, they keep talking about how like John Cusack is like, Oh, he's probably saving the rainforest or recycling his fucking sandals or some shit like that. Cause he's such a granola boy. <laughs> and like that part is sort of undercooked because like Finn said, it's mostly like offhanded references to the idea of sociology. <laughs> um, but like, that is what it's supposed to be. Right. And like, by the end of this movie, John Cusack meets Nick Cage's character in the middle or kind of just comes over to his side and becomes another action movie hero. Um, and I think that that is sort of like where the heart of this movie is. And I think it's like, it's, it's absolutely like both totally ironic and totally sincere. It sort of transcends that in that way. I think Cody, I, so I think I agree with that at least. I do kind of, I, I like looked away for like a second uh, during the climax of this movie. And then I looked back and John Cusack was, was on the fire truck. And I was like, I think i missed when he got on the fire truck. Why is John Cusack on the fire? He's not supposed to be. He's the guy making phone calls. He's not on make. It makes no sense. He is a suit, right? Like, I don't know. I guess but I assume he, he has becomes, some training. He becomes an action hero because he learns from Nick Cage, what it means to be a man in this movie. And then he does. it. That's true. And he, the, the, the trick where he, he sticks the fire hose into the, uh, into the top of the the fire truck uh, while the, the one of the bad guys is driving it. I, I I don't know if those are have water in them. I think you need to connect those to a fire hydrant. But apart from that, I mean, very fire small truck, fire trucks have reservoirs of water in them. Can you just turn them on while like there, there's nothing they need to? You can just turn I mean, that on would, on a fire def- truck. It would and start definitely push it? push him up like a Buster Keaton movie, and it would rip right. the guy's yes. skin off because it's point you're, blank. But you're, I mean, like, you're right. My point was we should ignore that weird little fact and and instead say I still pretty inventive. Like I I, I dug that. I, you know what? The, I do think it's dumb. He ends up on the fire truck, but I like the inventive use of the fire truck as a weapon in order to brutally murder a few uh, uh, convicts. Sure, why not? Um, And I was going to skate right by this, but Jason invoked uh, Buster Keaton. And so I'll like toss this in sort of as not an alternate reading, but maybe like a separate, you know, inroad, a separate runway into the same um, uh, Hmm. uh, uh, airspace Hmm. area. Where was, okay. Um, Where was he going with that one? Uh, How do we feel about, Um, about about how he, how he landed? Do we, do we feel like he stuck the landing on that one? He's put a lot of ums into it. Did you know where you were going when you started? He sold uh, me on getting a lot of thumbs no, I, I think that was a classic a Vegas crash landing. He nailed it. So what I was what I was going to throw in um, all this talk about the the props and not knowing why people are are on certain vehicles or you know we're in the desert we spend half the movie in the desert there are all these random props lying around and I guess sort as a as a, um, a sub branch of sub branch is a word that I just made up but a sub branch of this like the visual storytelling discussion is like yes um like the things that we can you know read as like is this movie um being self-aware about you know, i guess going back to the the cyrus death like is this a send-up um like a quote-unquote send-up of the action films the diehards the um arnold schwarzenegger movies that came before this or is this just extremely interested in like a, a classic type of visual storytelling that's all about like setting up spaces and props and um like character motivations and like constructing each scene or uh, like capping off each scene with a certain amount of payoff and giving cyrus a sort of rube goldberg-esque death like yeah i i think 
if Con Air was directed and edited a little bit differently, it would probably come off as like a, a more clear satire than this sort of spectrum that we created up top. But um, as a sort of elaborate, you know, we're, we're drawing this out. We're like sticking the knife into Cyrus very, very slowly giving him that that conclusion literally the only thing more satisfying might have been seeing like the impact on his head not to be like gross about it or like you know like a squishy <laughs> oh, i want i want weirdly practical now. effects for that one bit just weirdly just yeah. like smush they, yeah oh they said fuck yes. like twice and then if they wanted to throw in a watermelon and paint it <laughs> to look like cyrus the virus <laughs> i would have been down with that but they actually uh, um, that, it, they get they got just they spoiled the entire movie because at the beginning of the credits it says and featuring John Carpenter as and then it said the guy who designed the head that explodes the the guy that designed yeah. a plaster cast model of Cyrus the virus yeah absolutely Jason did you like the the head that didn't explode or did you have something else completely different to talk I about ver- I very much wanted something more gross at the end there uh, it, <laughs> at, at this it's movie, pretty I mean, I, I mean it's I, but it's like. After all that buildup, like he goes through basically a failed Jackie Chan stunt through the electric wires. Uh, yeah. He goes through yes. an entire skyway. He like by that point, it's just funny. Like I just wanted something that was a little like, oh no, moment because everybody like everybody's laughing and cheering up to that point. Um, it really at at its, I don't know if it's at its worst or at its best, but at its blankst, this movie is just a family film with more violence and swearing. It really yeah, just I, follows that exact, like, it felt very parsable, very, like, easily consumed up until the point where they start saying fuck, where they start, in like, talking about uh, sexual assault, where they start, like, yes. shooting each other's brains out. That, that's what I mean. If you removed elements like that, if it was just, like, chase scenes and all that, like, it would be, it would be comparable to any, like road movie family film to me I, that that wasn't my larger point but like since we're talking about all the violence and how i wanted more at the end <laughs> it, it is i i this, this kind of ties in I was, I was trying to think of some way to to actually start talking about like specifically malkovich and buscemi in this film because it, i do think that there is like a very weird aspect of this movie where it does feel kind of like uh, a family-friendly movie, as you described, kind of mashed up with, like, a, a weirdly, uh, like, not even, like, a weirdly violent, because there's not more violence in this movie than, than other action movies, but there are, like, a lot more uh, uh, instances and, like, uh, mentions of things like sexual assault and, like, serial killers killing 30 people wearing... But, like, the performances that specifically Malkovich and Buscemi are putting in, but I think specifically Malkovich, are, like... It's like a performance out of, like, a Harry Potter knockoff film. Like, John Malkovich is, like, the bad guy in, like, the D&D movie from, like, 2006 or whatever. He's not, like, a mastermind. He is... I I like this movie. So badly cast in this. Such an awful performance. Yet not even in kind of an ironic way... Oops! I am not. I was not, not afraid agree. of that person for a single second. I, it's absurd when I, he's I, like, "Your daughter will, will, will." The last thing she smells will be my breath. It's like, what are you? Who? This is John Malkovich. I, the, like I, the Coen Brothers guy. What are you? What is going on here? I love how every one-liner is actually like one point seven five liners coming from his mouth, and I think they just gave him those lines to make the character less threatening, more like. 
eminently killable so that when he is sure you're like oh yeah he's had this coming the entire movie he never feels like invincible he never super feels in control even when like things are going his way it never feels like oh he's the mastermind who's got everything going for him it's sort of an intel movie because it it (laughs) sort of implies that john malkovich and steve buscemi that just two creepy white dudes are actually the scariest possible thing uh, which, yes, yes, come back true. It's kind yeah, of interesting, actually. <laughs> As someone who's been stopped on the side of a road by a white man in a cement truck, uh, yeah. Um, and also, thinking about like the visual setup of John Malkovich and Steve Buscemi, who, I this is one of my favorite Steve Buscemi roles. I think he's delightful. Um, but John Malkovich does all of that awful stuff on screen, and you see him do it, so he has the very satisfying death. As much as we hear about Steve Buscemi's bullshit, he doesn't ever physically do anything. He hangs out with a kid. Yeah. It's a lot easier for the audience to be like, okay, yeah, he gets away, and it's funny because he gets away, because you don't have to see him. Like, I love Danny Trejo. See, He doesn't actually harm anyone that we see, but, I mean, he does harm someone. Uh, and then him, like, getting his arm torn off yeah. is very gratifying, but yeah. Steve Buscemi, who's killed a lot more people you don't actually have to like witness that yourself and there's a different relationship with him steve Steve buscemi's character's role in this movie fucking fascinates me uh because he is he is kind of the character like the pov of the audience and he is also like Uh, he is like the moral center of this movie's morality yes like i i honest to god think that this no i listen to me i'm i'm uh, listening no no i'm willing to be sold i i honest to god think that this movie is about rehabilitation right i think that it's about rehabilitating okay. america i think i think it's about this idea that no matter how dark uh or how awful we are as a country as a, a legacy as a culture as human beings if our hearts are in the right place we can find a way to get through to a better tomorrow I, now I'm referencing John Woo, but like, and I honest to God think that what they're saying is that Steve Buscemi rehabilitated himself somehow, and that's why he's okay having the sort of karmic ending that he does. Because every other character gets exact karmic comeuppance in this movie in like ironic ways, like the rapist yeah. who has the the tattoos that count out his rape victims, like uh, he gets the actual arm torn off, right? Like yeah. uh, everybody gets what's coming to them, but like. Everybody gets what's coming to them, right? And and then at the very end of the movie, the last moment, the stinger, is Steve Buscemi, who allegedly killed 30-something people and wore a child's head as a hat. He lets the little girl go. He just wants to go to Vegas and, and party down. And hey, that's okay. Because, like, I think that, honestly, this movie is saying that, like, in a world where all of this shit is possible, like, it, it has to be possible to work our way back out of it. This is a movie that, like, wants wants you to know that America is fucked up. But it also wants you to know that we're going to get out of it. Like, we are absolutely going to circumnavigate somehow our way out of these thorny issues. Because even though Nick Cage has anger issues, actually, because his heart's in the right place, he can just leverage those the right way, right? Or whatever. And I, I honestly think that that's what... The, because, like, that's that's the sort of triumphantalism that America is is doing in this movie. It's just this sort of idea that, like, it's going to work out. We're going to make Harry, it. I, I would like to believe you, but I think the stinger is definitely, like, a, 
Steve Buscemi is still out there. He will kill again kind of thing. I mean, I would like to, like, because it is, I'm very, I don't think I'm buying into what you're saying, but I like, I see it and I kind of want it to be there. But because I do think that like, Honestly, the the scene with Steve Buscemi and that little girl is like the weirdest part of the book. Like, I I do mm-hmm. not know outside of a reading that the, the one that, that I just constructed, yes, right. But that I, I don't agree with due to just kind of the other events at the end of the film. Uh, I don't know how else to read that scene. Like, I guess he just he liked the girl enough and didn't decide to kill her. Um, but like, I do kind of think that at least the way that that scene is constructed at the very end, we are kind of supposed to. I guess find it like kind of like a uh, kind of like a zinger that Steve Buscemi yeah. is like just living it up in Vegas, and I I think we have to assume he will kill was, again. But I was happy um, for him. One 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 baseline I have. Yeah, I know. If he, if he kills again, because the music I, you know, is singing and stuff. Yeah, not he, because he's just we are like, rooting for Steve Buscemi in this movie. We are a hundred percent. I'm not rooting for Steve Buscemi in this movie. I, oh yeah. Oh, I am. I, I I think I am. I don't. Now here's the thing: the movie gave me a centimeter, just uno centimetre, and I'm going to take an entire kilometer out of that shit because I do believe. Like I think what Harry's saying about the scene, Aaron, is your hand up for some reason? I just want to make sure. Uh, your point. It was earlier, and I didn't put it down. But for those of you at home who don't know what hands are in reference to a podcast, I will put mine down. I think they can. I think continue to summarize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do Wait, think you that, just that... used the technology incorrectly, and then you kind of got Jason's ass for calling it out. If you had simply <laughs> used the technology correctly, he wouldn't have yeah. had to call you. I, out. I, I put the I thing like up, is... said my bit, and it was still up. It's I feel a, like this is when I, was, when I was like nine years old. I was practicing my dad's judo moves with my sister in his new uh, in, in my dad's new medical office, and there was like this cement floor with like very thin carpeting on it. And I yeah. went for like a, a grab, and she grabbed both my wrists, kicked my legs out from underneath me and i woke up three hours later in the hospital with like getting a cat scan i feel like that's what just happened to me i tried to go at you for the hand thing and you just swept my fucking knees out from under even even if and i I will move off this but even if i had used the technology incorrectly the general rule of the hand is that you will talk once the person is done talking so you passing it to me anyway uh finn uh what do you think about uh the non-hand stuff that we were just talking about uh in regard to the film uh previously to change the subject very quickly. I kind of got stuck on Harry talking about like rehabilitation and how we can rehabilitate America. And I think you might've talked me into hating the plot of this movie because you just reminded me that he's a vet and he has all of these skills. Yes, he has anger issues, but so do I. Like that doesn't, (laughs) I'm not going to break someone's nose, but he has the like special skills and led to him accidentally killing a man. Yes. And then the reason he was able to go and in that incredible sequence where he's getting the insulin for his friend, which I think is one of my favorite parts in the movie. And we can talk about sincerity. Oh, yeah. It that, fucking rocks. Uh, yeah. But like, um, he's still doing all these flips and like, okay, in a war zone because he went through the military process and was conditioned to be okay with that and mm-hmm. is like now going to live the rest of his life, probably with PTSD. Um, and as much as we can talk about rehabilitating America, it's like, oh, well, he's kind of fucked up because of America. Yes. This oh, is yeah, the- no, they all are, right? That's the whole point. They're all products yeah. of the system. They're all these archetypes. Go ahead, Jason. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, that's exactly where I was going to go with my point. And I like 
what you're saying about what he's going to take with him. And this is like me constructing my reading. It's again, that centimeter I'm going to turn into a mile um, is that I think Harry's right. That like that scene specifically with uh, Buscemi and the child at the junkyard, which might be a fucking fever dream. That thing might be in just completely nonsensical, might be just a, a, a made up figment of Buscemi's imagination in that scene, because I think it is in direct conversation with what the audience is watching in a weird way. I think there's like almost a fourth wall breaking moment where it's like he is watching uh, Poe become, I guess, like accept himself. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a long winded point. I think that there is an essential difference between Cyrus, the virus and uh Cameron Poe. And it's not just that one's a good guy, one's a bad guy. I think it is that like they are both victims of a uh, criminal penal system. Uh, one of them frankly deserves it. The other is arguably still like a morally good person. And he's just not accepting of a lot of, or excuse me, he is not accepting of, of, of a basic immorality of an act that he's performed taking a life. But he is sort of accepting of the moral of the physical, like necessary mandated consequences. He is serving out his term. He is going on parole. He didn't try to break out of jail, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's some equivocating in that moment when uh, he's looking at Bashemi, and I forget what Bashemi says, but then Poe is like, I'm not like him. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be like him kind of thing, which feels underbaked. It feels perfunctory. Um, but it's, it is a complicated thing for Poe in that, like, uh, he's still firm in his belief that he's like a person of good moral standing and he's not wrong, but he's sort of blinding himself to like Finn was saying the material reality that he is now a convict and he is in whether he likes it or not a fundamentally different person in the eyes of society for that. Like he hopes, and this is why I'm glad you brought up the bunny earlier. Harry is because like he hopes that he can give his daughter this beautiful new bunny toy lame as shit though. It is for a 12 year old kid. It's like, it is representative of him new person to this new person. But he doesn't realize that he can't do that. He doesn't realize that he cannot be a new person to this new person. He cannot be a new person to anybody because he is going to hold, like you were saying, Finn, he's probably going to leave this situation with PTSD. He's definitely going to leave this situation with a lot of scars emotionally and physically. And that is what makes the bunny really stupid and heavy handedly, but a really good symbol of that. Cause like it is beaten to shit by the end of it. And the girl still accepts it. She still accepts mm -hmm. who he is changed though. He is uh, convict though. He is uh, re rehabilitating though. He is, she is accepting of it. And so, so of course is his wife. Um, I think like what we're supposed to read is that like, even though his criminal past does put him in league with other criminals like Cyrus, the virus and diamond dog, et cetera, he transcends that by accepting both the internal changes he's gone through and the external realities that he's faced with. Like, those, right. like he, that he's coming to, to terms with his identity as a convict of, and, uh, and, uh, victim of the, uh, American criminal system, right or wrong. He is accepting of his reality in that respect. And I think that is like, that's why what everybody's saying is just like tacking on this big Katamari ball of my reading is like, no, I don't think anybody's, I don't think you're wrong for thinking that, uh, that Buscemi's character is just kind of like, just gone uh insane and he might end up being just you know murdering again fine i think that is consistent with my reading as well i i personally think that he's uh, like on the path to rehabilitation and it's specifically because in that scene he was watching cameron poe do a thing for somebody else proving to himself and to uh buscemi's character which why the fuck can i remember that character's name that he is like innately different from Cyrus the virus and the rest of them. Anyway, God, that was like six minutes of me uninterrupted talking. Uh, take it away, Harry. 
I really, really like that. I mean, I, I think that both you and Finn m- m- said my points a lot bit better than I did, right? Which is this idea that, like, I think the thing in this movie that I really like is that it is repeatedly reminding everyone in a sort of, like, backward, not very effective 90s action movie way that we are all victims of statehood and of the culture that we inhabit. I mean, it, which is, again, like the the biggest reading for me from this is, and why I said Steve Buscemi is like the POV character slash moral center, is that he has that whole arc, or he has that whole monologue about like, don't you think it's insane to work 50 hours a week for 60 years? And then they tell you to get your ass out, and then you spend the last remaining years of your life yeah, maybe hopefully with some healthcare. Probably big, not big because you're in America. Times out of that, yeah, monologue, yeah, by the way. right at at that point. But like, I I think that like honestly, and and maybe I'm getting way too head ass here. But like, all of the sort of like conflation of criminal and guard and marshal into this big sort of like gumbo of American culture. It's supposed to be re-envisioning what those mean what those things mean right and i think that there are a lot of elements that are underbaked but like you're right uh jason when we do the whole like my lady doth protest too much scene with cameron where he goes no i'm nothing like him i'll never be like him that is supposed to be sort of like by the end of this movie he's sort of more embracing like at the beginning of the movie, he he has this darkness inside of him that he's trying to get away from, right? This anger control issue. By the end of that movie, he hasn't beaten it. He's just utilized it. Yes. So there, there's this idea that um, like it's not – it's the rehabilitation looks different, and it kind of just looks like getting past sort of like judgment, which is I think kind of both the best and worst part of the politics of this movie – is that it is, I think it's legitimately about humanizing convicts slash people with sort of like criminal histories or like backgrounds, right? Or like people who have like checkered histories like America. Um, But it's like, it's saying that we have to get past that, right? There's almost a sense in which it's just like, oh, stop whining, right? Like, (laughs) like we can, like, as long as you accept that, we can all move forward together, right? Um, And like, I think that part of the reason why that doesn't work for me as well as it should is because the racial politics of this movie fucking suck. Um, But like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. This might be like derailing, but. I've been thinking about your point, Harry, that he's like the audience stand in for the movie. And this is a very basic film reading, but he is, if you remove him, he has no effect on the plot realistically. He's a passive physically. Uh, it doesn't sings. make any sense that he's in this movie. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense that he's there. Um, and he has these lines that honestly could have been an inner monologue with Poe or said to him by his friend who ha- needs the insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we have to have like this Garland de Green. That's his name. Garland Green. Um, and there's the, again, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes, the defined irony scene where they're all singing Sweet Home Alabama. And he's like, this is a song that was being performed by a band that died in a plane crash. Like that is what we are thinking. He's literally um, like the puck character in a Shakespeare yeah. play. Where like his whole role is to like look over at the audience and make a joke and wink. And then, like, mm-hmm. go back to the movie. Like, he has no real... And that whole, was the interaction with the child real or not? Like, we don't really need to know because it wasn't like Cameron Poe ran through and yeah. was obstructed by that interaction. It um, is it's funny. It's kind they, of there. 
It is funny that they set him up as a Hannibal Lecter character, like worse than Hannibal yeah. Lecter, where they're like carrying him on sticks out of the truck. And then essentially he has, it's, like you said, he's he's absent from the plot in almost Steve every Buscemi. sense. It's, it's the funniest joke of the movie, maybe, right? Just like in terms of casting, because like they very specifically tried to one up Hannibal Lecter, where it's just like, let's put three more straps on this dude than Hannibal Lecter had on him. We'll do the mask, but like there's more on this guy. This guy's also, worse than Hannibal, y'all. And also like we're going to remove 150 pounds from Hannibal Lecter and make it Steve Buscemi like wet rat Steve Buscemi I I love it so much he's completely clean shaven he doesn't look at all intimidating or like beyond his normal creepy I don't know does he not have a thin mustache he's just a guy yeah you just imagine he had a thin mustache. No, his the, the thin mustache would absolutely ruin that character because then I would just, be like, oh, this dude will absolutely kill again. Like, <laughs> if he has a little thin porn stash, when he's talking to that girl, it's a that's a very different scene, my man. Like, yeah. he really needed to be clean shaven for this so, so that I could believe in his redemption. <laughs> I think the haircut still has enough of that character trait for me personally, but I, it's honestly, I think my dislike of him and Malkovich is just like, I, you know. I don't like a I don't like supervillains who are not as scary as their henchmen and I know that henchmen are always the henchmen are always the more kind of you know physically uh you know right, kind of right. larger kind of more physical people and it's always kind of the the evil masterminds who are the you know yeah. they're putting their hands together and whatnot but like I don't know like I I I know this is like maybe it doesn't fit the tone of the movie but like I would have liked at least one of those two I think kind of similar uh, uh, characters to be scary. And I just don't think I look, I love Steve Buscemi. He's one of the greats, John Malkovich, one of the greats. I just don't think I just, I they're they're They are the bad guys in like a family film uh, in a weird right. way. I, yeah, well, I, I mean, just don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm again, I'm being too head ass and I'm talking too much, but like, I think that the John Malkovich tension kind of works for me because it really does feel like he's a guy who's trying really hard to be hardcore. You know what I mean? It's like, he's trying to be a guy who's scarier than everybody else. And he's like, supposed to be to hardcore. Do- like the movie backs up. The, there's, there's a scene where the, the guy comes out of the, the, a bunch of the convicts try and hijack another plane in order to get away just themselves. And then one of the guys comes out and uh, uh, he's covered gasoline because they crash in John Malkovich. Uh, he says like uh, sigh, and he says, uh, "What's the what's the?" So he says Anara. So he says he says he says sigh, and he says Anara. And then he flicks a cigarette, and then it burns him up. And Ving Rames, Ving fucking Rames, turns around and looks at the camera and does like a, "Do you see that shit?" And it's like, dude, you're <laughs> you're all mass murderers, convicts. You're Ving Rhames. Like, you d- no, I didn't see that shit. That was that was John Malkovich flicking his cigarette at somebody. What are you talking about? Ving, or sorry, uh, makes no John sense. Mal- John Malkovich looks like the scariest he possibly could in this role. He looks like a capitalist. Uh, Finn, please. Sure. I. <sighs> I do think Ving Rhames was probably utilized to the best of his ability because it did suck that John Malkovich was like an awful like sexist and racist. But given how conservative the politics of this movie were and other jokes that occurred in the film, I think having like Ving Rhames is the big bad. I don't know. I I don't trust like 90s action films to do. Oh, yeah, it would have been. 
Yes, and yeah. there are a lot of them that did that, and uh, yeah, it's fucking insane bad. to me. Like even in '98, that like they're doing the like the classic, which again we're getting back into the, but like the archetype thing where they're reading out all of the ways in which these criminals are the worst of the worst, and it's like, oh yeah, this guy's literally like <laughs> black nationalist. Yeah, and yeah, they get to big wins, and they're like, oh, he's up an NRA rally because he's a Black Panther. They're and getting like, Denzel Andrew, Washington to star in the, the, the autobiography. It's like, it's like this guy's this guy's as bad as the rest of them, Ooh. and it's like what? Like <laughs> dog? Like that's and then like they 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 make it very clear and like maybe the movie's most ham-handed politics that it's like no, it's yeah. because he's the guy who like he's okay with violence. He's okay. He really does like he loves killing cops, right. and that's why I'm he's gonna get guy. free by any means necessary. I'm just going to wink at the camera yeah, a few yeah. times. I mean, to be clear, I was rooting yeah. for Diamond Dog all the way, well, yeah, right? Like, oh, yeah, of course. Diamond Dog in a sense. The hero of this movie. That's, yes. that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on is like the concept of – and Diamond Dog is a great example of it um, – of like using – or having a means to an end rather than like the end, like diamond dogs character, uh, his whole motivation for working with Cyrus is that he like, he's trying to establish like this sort of Afrocentric end goal that like some, so he hopes to, I guess, profit from this uh, in an unclear way. Well, the plot doesn't it, really he, address. Says, he, he alludes to the idea that after Cyrus's plan goes off, he's going to kill Cyrus and it'll be the day of the dog. And then he sort of does a really cool menacing grimace. Yeah. Uh, and, but like that understanding of, of being a means to an end also underpin it's like the sort of the Achilles heel of the DEA and CIA or whoever's following the criminals the whole time is like their understanding of the convicts is that like they are using each other as means to an end rather than like seeing them as a coordinated body of P like as thinking people toward like a, a a common end sort of thing. That's what keeps them on the back foot every time is like, Oh, none of them, they wouldn't actually like, strategically think about removing the transponder from this plane and putting it somewhere else like we can't be fooled by that uh you know we're not going to be just a step behind them when they're landing in this nowhere town in a you know boneyard of, of cars uh i did i don't know to what end the movie is using that concept but i just found it interesting that it appears in at least two like side concerns of the movie being diamond dog and his like his whole reason for being in the movie like as a character himself is so that he can like break out kill cyrus day of the dog thing uh but like pretty central to his character is his black identity um and it doesn't really like go anywhere because he dies on the back of a fire truck and then also that the law is relying on that same understanding not with the uh you know racial politics of it but that same understanding to try and pursue the criminals throughout the entire movie yeah i just as a small aside also the one of the other main black uh, actors in this movie, um, Dave Chappelle, which he's he's canceled now, so fuck him. But like, he also is just like just a black character who's a crack addict. Like, they just yeah. go out of their way to say like, "Hey, this guy's a black criminal, so he's a crack addict," and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. it, it doesn't have any bearing on his character whatsoever. It's just they wanted to sort of like drive by the idea of like black drug culture and right. just to sort of like it's. It's brutal. Pretty, and, and pretty you know, funny. Like also, the only Latinx character is a is like a sexual assault guy, which like also in in a movie that's sort of about like it's not about humanizing. It's about sort of like well, they made their choice, right? But like his character is the wildest to me because like there is not a I the idea of a serial rapist who just loves to do that is like so much stranger to me than like a serial killer. 
do you know what I mean? It, maybe this is not the right sort of thing to talk about, but like, I I was just like, why is this is such a gross character to put in this movie? <laughs> like, I hated it. I hated that sort of like threat of sexual assault that was hanging over the movie, and like, oh god, did that make my skin well, yeah, crawl? Like, like the whole movie, they're just using him as uh, well, and like, I forget the actress's name. Aaron said it on the intro, but uh, guard Bishop, guard, guard Sally Bishop. Um, she really does just exist to be the the liability sort of, and he is sort of the threat, right? Cyrus doesn't have anything particularly out for her. He's just using her as leverage. Uh, nobody else on the plane really cares much for her, except for the fact that maybe they can use her to, you know, their, their specific end. And I think they just felt like, oh, it is a movie about a bunch of macho men. Like, and again, I'm throwing away all of my generosity toward the rest of the movie, bunch of macho men on a plane. And one of them has to be like, has to present a threat of sexual violence, right? Quote unquote, um, as like, well, she, she, if, if she's going to be one of the reasons that, that Nick Cage stays on this plane, then we have to have something that's more, more threatening to her than like, Oh, we'll use you to elude the cops or whatever. I'm not saying that that excuses it all. It is, it is abhorrent. It's like a terrible use for any character, uh, in, in, for this movie. But it, I think that's, that's the justification. I think that they can, they come do with that character. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just weird because, like, they do such a good job of sort of, like, what Aaron said. We're, we're like, I love that in this movie, just basic criminality is just sort of like a character trait that you have or you don't have. And if you have it, it's just like the world is upside down where it's like, it's like in a, like a fucking Marvel comic, like Sinister Six. It's just that all of the supervillains know each other and they really, really like each other because they're all supervillains, right? It's like Cyrus the Virus, like when he sees Steve Buscemi's character, he's like, that guy's a national hero. I love his work so much. He's like a fan of this dude. And it's just like, well, yeah, because they're all, they're both, you know, murderers, you see. So they they have a mutual respect for each other. And like Steve Buscemi's character says the same thing where he's like, all the great ones. And then he lists off like the real serial killers, like, Oh, Bundy and, uh, Dean and et cetera, et cetera. They killed because they liked it. And like it, I really love that idea. And I kind of love what the movie's doing, which is implying that everybody just like all of our sort of motivations are that gross. (laughs) But like, um, then there, then there are some, some places that it really like is tough to follow. I guess. And I, I think that the, the sexual assault stuff was, was that for me where it was sort of like, you know, I, I can, I can hang with Steve Buscemi killing 30 something children and wearing their body parts as clothing. But I really draw the line at implied sexual violence. Is this what you meant by Steve Buscemi is the audience stand in is you just like felt yourself in Steve. I think that's not how I think it's supposed to. I always feel myself in the Steve Buscemi character of any movie. Every hmm. time Steve Buscemi's on screen, I'm I'm thinking there he what is. What is the most me. embarrassing thing we can lock Harry into right now? What Steve Buscemi role comes to mind when you think? I mean, that? it's got to be I mean, Fargo. Uh, Fargo, he's like specifically listed as like an ugly person. Like that, that is like the thing about his character. Harry, why would you say that? Harry, don't do that, yeah, man. Don't, you don't sell yourself part. short in that manner. I believe in you. Okay, don't. You're you're the you're the Nick Cage. All right, you got to believe you're the Nick Cage. I unfortunately am absolutely the John Cusack. Come on, every everybody knows uh, that you, John Cusack. He was a hot guy for. I mean, he, he had a number of years in there where he was a. Hard you see guy. how big his suit was on him at the start of this movie? Oh he my god, like it's a, a 1990s movie. suit. They, they do yeah. so. It's, it's 1997. There's only so much you can do. Whole opening segment, they do him so dirty. They put him in the little tiny glasses. They put him in the gigantic suit. It's so funny. 
I'm just going to posit that I've never found Nick Cage uh, nor John Cusack hot ever until this movie. And I think it's 100% like the the farther and the grimier they get throughout the film, the like much hotter they are. Okay. Just the the more Vegas building rubble on both yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. I so by, by the t- by the time that they're both on the police cruisers, the motorcycles, you're just all bought in on on the hotness. They lose points for it being like the police cruisers, but you but know, but if they were just gold it's, wings, just like shitty old yeah. '80s gold wings, that that's absolutely. It. Yeah. It's it's very funny that uh, Nick Cage at, at the beginning of, at the end of the movie he meets up with his wife again and his daughter and he was like. Uh, I, I was gonna get a haircut and it's like your hair looks so much better than it did at the, you, at the beginning of the movie he's like balding he's got like the massive like it started retreating at that point and at the end he's got these luscious Jesus locks it's like super curly and textured and it's like no you, you look quite a bit better uh, at the end of this movie but maybe not southern gentlemanly I guess we should just briefly talk about, touch on that ending, right? Because, like, to Jason's point, to Jason's reading, like, literally this movie ends with the products of the system, these convicts that were created by the very same culture that created the U.S. Marshals and created the U.S. Rangers, et cetera, et cetera, crashing into Las Vegas, the sort of symbol of American excess. And money, American cash literally just flies up in the air. And then, like, the new school marshal and the old school ranger meet and shake hands as literally money rains down from the sky, right? It's like, it's it's not subtle filmmaking, <laughs> to say the least, but it is like, it's doing something interesting with like, sort of like, hey, you, we are now in this, in the 90s, in this sort of new wave, postmodern fashion, going to acknowledge that maybe the villains came from the same place the heroes did. Yeah. Maybe it's all the same sort of churning jingoist culture at Machine. its heart but is if you can if you can put it your like heart in the right place if you can want that bunny bad enough you will be able to pull it out of the sewers you will be able to to wash off the grime and you will be able to present it to your child who will accept even though hilariously at the end of this movie she looks like she's terrified for her life <laughs> and if i really wanted to be up my own ass about my reading i would say yeah that's the future. That scared little girl who's like, oh shit, I have to inherit all of this. And then we cut to fucking Steve Buscemi and he's gambling. If, so, if, you know. if, if I was, if I had my head up my ass is the funniest thing Harry could possibly say on this podcast. Cause we've always got our heads all the way up our asses. What are you talking about? It's uh, nice that you said we, I appreciate that. We, uh, well, except for our hostage, of course, uh, we should, I guess we've just crested the hour and some mark. Uh, do we have any like lingering thoughts? Anything before I open up the junk drawer for just like our very final thoughts? Um, anything else that anybody wanted to touch on before? I we got get there? one. I got one. Take me home. Nick Cage, beginning of the movie, the worst writing in this entire film. In prison, writing to his wife, refers to a snowball, the hostess snack you see in every single store in the United States of America as. Uh, that pink coconut thing as if he has never seen a snow as if his wife mailing him a snowball is like a novel thing he'd like he had never seen this before it was some food from a far off land it was invented while he was inside it wasn't i i looked it up beforehand they were made in 1947 okay i've had enough of that like what is his fucking letter to his wife Trisha, I have never been to a gas station or a convenience store. I mean, these I mean, treats are delectable. I, I've simply 
impressed by the the not just the breading on the outside, but the gooey center. Breading. This airfield has you know and accessories. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Wait, Aaron called the coconut shreds on the outside of a these, snowball. These cos I was doing like a Twinkie, like if he was describing all of them. Like these cosmic brownies are absolutely out of this world, Trisha. I, I can't describe how good these little Debbie and Hostess snacks are. Maybe but, it was like maybe it was a contractual would, thing. Maybe maybe they're not allowed to say like Hostess in the script or whatever. Maybe they can't. say I'm snowball. sure. I mean, but it's on the screen. I don't look. I like the I like the weird little thing of him giving one of the janitors some snowballs and learning Spanish because of it, but it's it's very stupid. Uh, Shout I out, think. by the way, to that character. Um, that's, uh, that's that's Mike o- Baby O Odell, uh, played by Mel Kelty Williamson, for like maybe the most thankless job of all time in this role. It's like that he's he's the black inmate who Nick Cage becomes best friends with to show that Nick Cage is cool because he has a black friend, and then he has an insulin attack because he he has diabetes and the entire movie he's just sitting in a chair sweating his ass off and talking about how he's going to die and literally it like exactly like Bart guard bishop right the only reason he's there is to be an object for the main character to save and it's it's brutal man it's like and I, I like that actor i just that role is like so stunningly uh thankless the junk drawer is still open. If we have final thoughts, any last things? Yeah, I've got, even I've got one more. Even even if it's just John Cusack hot. Yeah, I my maybe my favorite shot of the entire movie, um, and and like the most badass thing that happens in this movie is when uh, Nick Cage is storming the cockpit, and in slow motion, one of those dudes shoots him, and the the bullet goes wide, so it it like takes off this big chunk of his arm, and it's in slow motion, so you can see that Cameron Poe he doesn't even fucking flinch, his <laughs> eye doesn't twitch, nothing. It's like it, it's like nothing touched his body. He just keeps going straight through it and i i don't know i haven't seen that in a movie before and it was so fucking funny to me that it's just like this dude's so badass he doesn't feel bullets aaron your attempt at an accent reminded me um unfortunately that was not correct for many regards Uh, Hmm. Uh, well because he's from uh mobile alabama mobile alabama yeah and for the like the most part, I think as someone who has family in Alabama, I think Cage does a pretty good job, but it's been bothering me all movie that there is one line where he switches from that like southern drawl that he has the entire film mm-hmm. to like a very stereotypical like oh no, and it's just it, it's been bothering <laughs> me this entire time. Hearing um, that <laughs> Nick Cage did a good job of that southern accent is the most shocking thing I have ever heard. I was I- it's not like the best southern accent ever, but like regionally, the drawl is much better than like. I love him, but any of the actors in Logan Lucky, particularly like Tatum and Adam Driver. <laughs> uh, so now, can we move Aaron down to like third favorite trial of host because he generalized? I was doing. I was doing it for up. the bit. I was doing it for the bit. So you were turning. I think you enti- get it. Everybody entire- who does an accent for the bit, you get a bit affordance for an the entire subsect of American it. culture down to the bit, and still your favorite. I, I, a good point. I understand. I get if it. we're it's keeping point. track, my favorite's technically Seth. Um, oh yeah, Seth. I mean, he's better. Yeah, I believe better than all of us. That's the centrist take. Why are we? Why are we doing that? 
He's not on the call. Uh, my 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 drunk drunk drawer thing is that there is literally another reading of this movie in which Cameron Poe is very literally like the 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 Messiah, not just like a Messiah, like the Messiah. He's indestructible. He yeah, really dude. Takes actual At one damage. point, Odell says he's 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 running, he's bleeding out, and Odell goes, "I just keep thinking God's not real." And Cameron like cradles his head and he's like, "I'm gonna show you that God is real." And it was like that uh, that moment in Fast Nine when Vin Diesel is like, "God will o- God is always with you." And I'll always be with you. It's like, wait, so like, <laughs> so what, what are you he, saying? Did you just explicitly say he's God? <laughs> I am on the same plane as. I mean, like, he's got his. He's got the uh, disciples. He's got a Mary Magdalene. He's got uh, a Judas. He's got literally all all the things every young Messiah needs. Um, that's that's maybe a larger conversation, but we only have space for it here in the junk drawer next to the tape, uh, the twine, and the batteries. But um. We have. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna close this drunk drawer with a loud slam uh, in the next few seconds. Unless we've got any other takers, any final thoughts, anything else? Uh, going once, going shut the fuck up. We are on to the final segment of our show, um, which we have to intro, uh, led by Harry. But uh, Finn, do you remember how it goes? I guess you. You either you do or you don't. Uh, Harry, <laughs> take it away. Are you sure you don't want to introduce it since I did the uh, the hosting introduction? Oh, is, is that fair? Am I taking the play back so. from you? Uh, all right. Well, it's the final segment of our show, which we like to call... <gasps> Cody's Noties. Cody's Noties. Noties. Oh. A form of terrorism against our guests. <laughs> we already stated that she's a hostage, so that was This coerced. is not willingly. Hmm. <laughs> Code air all aboard. <laughs> toot toot. That's a train, but same idea. Hey, thank you for that introduction. It was fly as hell. Get it? Um, and people have been. Uh, it is. It is a holiday weekend, and there have been fireworks um, outside my window on my street. And so, I'm just going to try and talk over them. Um, I think I can maybe. Can you? That, can you but, get a uh, little bit louder that, each time you hear one? It's like you'll be like, and in the 1997 movie, Con Air, Nicolas Cage plays a. This, you just do that this episode will be I find that, that um, progressively louder every time. Like one of those YouTube videos where it speeds up every man, time. I was just going to say that. God, I stole your joke, brother. Guess what? You can't say shit. No, say your bit. No. <laughs> no, fuck you. I've decided this week is going to be the week in which we cover the man who's been gifted a trial on summer series all to himself. Uh, I couldn't wait until the end. I, I decided to wait until, you know, the, the middle of the summer. And so we'll be getting into the nitty gritties of his life and his times, whether he likes it or not. And so for better and for worse, we are getting cagey. Ooh. Getting cagey this fine evening. Uh, what I'll do is present a series of prompts somewhat related to Nicolas Cage. After each statement, I will ask y'all in reverse alphabetical by first name order. No need to figure that out now. I, I got it on paper. We're good. Um, I'll ask you in reverse alphabetical by first name order to respond. You'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer in some cases. Ooh. And the, uh, the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, a friendly reminder, Trivia Mafia rules uh, are now in effect. So use your noodles, not your Googles. With that, let's go ahead and jump in with question number one. Uh, So Nicolas Cage is a a nephew of famous film director Francis Ford Coppola. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, How tall is Francis Ford Coppola? Jason? Uh, 5'10". Jason is locking in 5'10". Harry, what do you think? Yeah, he kind of has little freak energy, doesn't he? Um, I'm going to go 5'9". 
All right, 5'9", says Harry. Finn, what are you thinking? 5'11"? Five, five, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're dancing around here and Aaron where do you stand on this important issue I, I guess I have to continue the trend I'm going to say that he is a tall king at uh, six feet alright six feet thank you for your guesses going off a uh, few sources on the internet uh, Francis Ford Coppola is reportedly six feet zero inches Aaron Son gets it right on the money <clears throat> one point for Aaron, hey, commanding whenever lead. Whenever asks about a question like that, you guys immediately like state your answer and then just picture that person as the tallest motherfucker alive because that happens to me literally every, every time. Every every or time, the shortest. Like or like you could say two, really. you could say Griffin Newman is how tall, and I'd be like, oh, he's like five nine, and then I picture him as like tall as Doug Jones for some reason. It's immediately after that <laughs> that I, I just doubt myself. Can I can I say uh, real, real quick? Uh, there is. When doing research for this, there was one specific piece of Nick Cage trivia that I saw that I was like, that might Huge be a Cody Jones dog. bit. And if it comes up, ah, it won't now. But, oh, if it comes up, it's going to be good. Please continue. Just I want mean, to set that up I mean, just in case. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not adapting on the fly based on vague suggestions you offer, that so was, it might come was, up. Who knows? That was the just saw a tweet and damn of Cody's notice. <laughs> If it if it if it ends up working out, it will be quite nice. So please yeah. continue. Yeah, I saw your face, and wow. Uh, number two uh, in in this segment, and many IMDb profiles, they've got a section dedicated to trademarks of that particular artist. And what I'm going to do here is list three Nicholas Cage trademarks per IMDb. Two of them will be for real. One of them will be uh, for fake. Uh, and your job will be to pick out the fake trademark. So I'm going to read through them one at a time. First. Often plays off-the-wall eccentric characters. Second, often plays eccentric wisecracking characters. And three, often plays flamboyant and or eccentric characters. Two of those are for real. One of them is not uh, on IMDb as of earlier today. And Jason, your, your, your temples are throbbing. I can see it from here. What one strikes you as a, uh, a, a fake Nicolas Cage cage mark? If you've ever wondered what standardized testing was like in homeschool it was like this where it's just three different questions that all kind of sound the same shut the fuck up here don't even say it buddy it's standardized testing so it really the whole sort of point is that it's not different for homeschoolers but please it was actually very different for homeschoolers um uh, i'm gonna go with the middle one all right, so the middle one. So uh, a trademark sandwich. Jason goes with. Um, I'll just say B. Uh, moving over to Harry. Harry, what do you think? I was also. I'm also going to go with B. I don't think that Nick Cage's characters are known for cracking wise. I feel like they yeah. do sometimes, but I would not call that a Nicolas Cage trademark. Gotcha. Okay, so I've locked in Harry for B as well, and now we've got an interesting predicament ahead of us, um, Finn and Aaron. I'm addressing you two specifically. Um, we have the opportunity to cover the spread of answers, or we do not. Or you know, you can choose to not go that route. Um, but Finn, the floor is yours. What option are you gravitating toward? I just want to point out Aaron's currently frozen with a really uncomfortable thumbs up, and I don't know what that means. Um, I might be wrong. I think flamboyant isn't a word I would use to describe Nicolas Cage. I think colloquially it's too associated with the gays. So I'm I'm probably right. going to lose tonight anyway. Why not go full in? 
That's fine. I know this is uh, an audio format, not a visual one, but I'm going to make the same pose that Finn just made and lock in <laughs> the, the answer. Canceled. Of C. Uh, yeah, C for canceled. That's me. Canceled Cody is what they call me at uh, the canceled, the Venom canceled Cody. store. Sure, thank you. And Aaron, what choice are you going with? You covering the spread or are you going a different direction? No, I'm not going to cover the spread because I think A is like the most clear. A might be not be it, but it seems like the most clear one. He is not typically wisecracking in my mind. He is kind of flamboyant, but I do see the argument that I'm going to go for B, I think, as boring as that is. B for boring. Yeah. Hey, you nailed it um, yeah. in that regard. Uh, so, okay, we got... In that regard, not necessarily all regards, because the fake trademark was indeed A. Um, Fuck, gotcha. That uh, makes no sense. Oh, my God. Cody, uh, you're so good at this. You you come back around like like the Ouroboros. You bite your own tail into actually being better than the shit on the internet. Uh, you should yeah, write this. Uh, I, I do indeed eat my own ass. Uh, there are other often. trademarks... There are other trademarks uh, on IMDb. Uh, I don't know why I'm plugging IMDb, but that comment on Cage's eyebrows, his blue eyes, and his uh, deep baritone voice. So those are, I decided those were less interesting to talk about for whatever reason, because they decided to put two very similar and kind of incorrect trademarks. It's like Wild at Heart and Raising Arizona is kind of wisecracking, maybe? I would not. Sure. H.I. is not wisecracking. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I'm struggling to think of like maybe Snake Eyes. I guess that character cracks wise, maybe. But like, yeah. I thought he cracked. I eyes. mean, like Humphrey Bogart it. characters crack wise. You know what I mean? It's like those are. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Well, no points were were obtained on that round. And just a quick look at the scoreboard here. Uh, Aaron has a commanding lead of one point to zero to zero to zero. <clears throat> it is still. Very much anybody's, anybody's game. game. Yeah. Uh, I just did the same Benicio del Toro voice that I did last time. Um, I can either go really high or I can go Benicio del Toro. No, really, for reminding me to watch that clip, like as I always do, at least once per week. Yeah, I watch it every night before I go to sleep. Um, Benicio del Toro is a big scary monster tucking me in. Um, but enough about me, more about this game. Uh, question number three, we're going to call out the director of Con Air, whose name is Simon West, and we're also going to invoke the Rashomon rule, which is that no film needs to be longer than Rashomon. A perfect film, released in 1950 and directed by Akira Kurosawa. Rashomon comes in at 88 minutes. So I ask you all, what percentage, what percentage of Simon West's director credits... Uh, and I'm going to pull them from Letterboxd. What percentage of Simon West director credits abide by the Rashomon rule? Looking for a percentage. Jason, what do you think? You're a Simon West, uh, Westbert, right? I'm a bit of a Simon Stan. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with 60% are, they abide by the Rashomon rule. Gotcha. Okay. 60%. Yeah. Logs you in. Harry. Yeah. No, that's okay. Wax poetic. I don't know uh, any of this motherfucker's movies, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong, but like, I, I to do, be honest, yeah. I, I fully thought Brookheimer directed this until we like were talking about it. Uh, so, until three um, seconds ago, sure. Yeah, basically. I'm going to go with like 10% because this movie's like two hours, and I feel like if he couldn't edit this puppy down to 90, he's not going to be able to edit much down to 90. I don't know. I, I think this should a uh, hot take three hour cut of Con Air baby let's fucking I would love go that. yeah no I I think any what it would be is it would just keep following Steve Buscemi the movie would just be over and then we would just get another hour and a half of Steve Buscemi's character doing his thing 
Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, we'll wait for the fan edit from you here. Until then, Finn, what uh, what percentage are you going to throw out? I'm going to say 25 because this was a long fucking movie. It was. Uh, 116 minutes. And I'm on your side here. 116 minutes is longer than anybody should do anything in one go. Um, much less w- watch a movie. You watched um, Bellatar's like 14-hour movie, didn't you? In little in chunks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey. One can only tango for so long. Um, Aaron, right. how long can you tango for? Uh, also, what's your answer to this question? What What was Harry's guess again? Harry's Harry's guess was ten percent. I really want to go less than twenty five, but uh, I'll I'll go twenty four. I think that frankly gives us a lot of room. All the way. no, because Finn has up until sixty. So I mean, come on. Yeah, that's fair. Twenty four percent. Shooting twenty four percent. All right. Yeah, I think I just screwed Harry and I, but. Yeah, y'all are locked in. Well, hey, we'll wait and see in a couple seconds when I say of the 12 films directed by Simon West that are included on Letterboxd, uh, if you're using the app, that is letterboxd.com. If you go to their website, we're not sponsored by anybody and never will be. One of those films comes in at or under 88 minutes, which gets us to 8.333, repeating, of course, percent. Uh, And that film is 2006's When a Stranger Calls, which I saw in theaters with a bunch of people in my grade, as was the fashion at the time. Anybody remember that movie? Nope. Okay, we can no, move on. No, uh, no. The time. Uh, uh, yeah. Is it good? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it looks nope. genuinely terrified, more so than, than she usually does. Yeah, it's just nodding silently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, with that, hey, the only thing um, scarier than that not great movie is uh, a frighteningly close race. In, I don't know, depending on who you are on this call, Harry pulls into a tie with Aaron for the lead. Uh, again, one point is the, the threshold we are at right now. It is 1100 in the order of Aaron, Harry, Finn, Jason, um, respectively, times four. We've got two more questions. Still very much anybody's game. Uh, similar to what we've done. Yeah, this is some, a little something new for the fans. Something uh, also, hey, similar to what we've done in previous games. I'm going to read off three quotes, three of them allegedly uttered by Nicolas Cage. Two of these utterances will be for real. Again, allegedly, don't come at us with the lawsuits. We're just playing a dumb game. I can't, uh, I can't accept another lawsuit. We're just flooded with them at trylovepodcast at gmail.com. We, we yeah. cannot keep up with the constant litigation. Please, please yeah. stop. Drowning in lawsuits over here. Um um did that come through i can keep going your task is to pick out the fake quote again three of them total two of them are going to be real one of them ain't uh so i'll read off the three quotes and leave it to each of you to pick out the imposter afterwards starting with the first quote which reads as follows i am not a demon i am a lizard a shark a heat-seeking panther that's quote number one. Second quote nope no sex scandals yet but i am open to offers and third quote I was being stalked by a mime, silent but maybe deadly. So, which one of those is not a Nicolas Cage original, Jason? I know I'm. I know I'm going to lose this. I'm okay with that. They're all real. I'm not. I'm not putting down any of them. <laughs> They're all real. Putting right. down is uh, all real. No, right, I've got the. The judges are etching that. Uh, they, they're giving me quizzical looks, but I told them, hey, etch it in, in, on a stone tablet and put it on a mountain. So they're doing that right now. Um, meanwhile, Harry has a guess, and it is? I think it's going to be A, and I think that it maybe maybe he said leopard instead of panther. 
or Jaguar instead of Panther. But that I think like that's a, my guess. Yeah, that sounds like a Cody thing. All right. Harry is locked in for A. Finn, what are you thinking? I love one of these quotes so much that I suggested it as the series title for this summer. Um, I'm going to go with C. Um because I, I've read enough Nicolas Cage interviews to think that B might be real. Oh, so I'm Roger, Roger. Uh. <laughs> All right, we've got we've got Finn locked in at C, and Aaron again. You know, the, the am I is, being uh, lied to? And B is obviously there's okay. So B wouldn't be a good series title. I'm going to go B and cover the spread just to at least do it for the karmic, uh, you know, points there. Even if I don't the win, Nody, it'll be worth it to cover this. But, yeah. Right, the Nodi's gods would be would get. Uh, they wouldn't be mad. They would get Midwestern annoyed if the spread wasn't covered at least once during the. Court, Wait a minute. Uh, Are you saying that open to sex scandals wouldn't be a great name for a film series at the Trilon? Um, we'll let that answer dangle in the void for just a moment, as I say that the imposter quote is B. It is a real quote, but but. It was actually allegedly, uh, allegedly, please, uh, estates, allegedly. The estate, specific, the, allegedly the estate of John Cusack, who allegedly <laughs> that <laughs> That's even funnier for the That sounds a lot more like Cusack. Wait, yeah, that's wait, pretty good. Yeah. Finn, what was the... It's like, if anybody uh, would like to hit me up, I... What was the quote that almost made it as, a, as the series title? Well, I, seconds after saying that, I realized I spoiled it, but uh, the Heat-Seeking yeah. Panther one was... Uh, nice. My suggestion, and it did make it into the description. And if you've ever looked at your uh, Nicolas Cage series punch cards that you can get punched at every Nicolas Cage screening, um, the little stamps are Panthers because Barry liked the quote so much. Hell yeah, that rocks. <sighs> Man, they, should, they should construct a series around Barry. Seems like a good dude. Hot take. That's not a hot take. Hmm. The right. golden, ber- like the golden berry. berries, the golden gold, the have, platinum have berries. Have you actually mm-hmm. met him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't he, know who you are. I'm sure he wouldn't yeah, remember my name. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think he recognizes my face. Okay. Sometimes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we're all uh, mortified uh, concerning the ordeal of being known, we'll move on to the last question, which uh, I'm going to – well, here's what I'm going to do. It's the fifth question. It's the final question. I should say also, quick look at the scoreboard. Aaron has taken a commanding lead of two points. Um, second place is Harry with one. Uh, Finn and Jason still yet to get on the board. But for this fifth and final question, I am going to list off four films that Nicolas Cage has been in. And what I'm going to ask each of y'all to do is rank them. In order of highest to lowest international box office gross, our favorite wedge yep. of filmic knowledge. Real um, funny so you get a that. point. Yeah, you'll get a point for each correctly slotted film. And again, there are four films here uh, in the mix. So if you get the order perfectly correct, you'll get four points. Just as an example, another example: if two of your films are in the right places and two of them aren't, you'll get two points. Etc. Etc. You, you can imagine all the potential possibilities. With that, I will now read the list of films y'all are trying to rank again from highest to lowest international gross. We've got 1987's Raising Arizona. We've got 2002's Adaptation, 2018's Mandy, and 2021's Pig. Oink oink. Um, so I'm going to read those again. So uh, for those just joining us, um, for those who have scrubbed to this spot specifically in the podcast first. What the fuck? But second, uh, we're ranking highest to lowest international gross of select Nicolas Cage films. And those films are Raising Arizona, Adaptation with a period at the end. I think it's stylized that way. Uh, Mandy and Pig. 
So those are the four. Uh, have I vamped long enough, Jason? I, um, I, or, or should I? Oh, can Aaron, I, say have, real, uh, oh, I am very sure. upset that you did not ask about his highest grossing film, which was the bit of trivia that I had seen on a Wikipedia page for his filmography, which is very upsetting. And I don't think we'll spoil this. Uh, it is The Crudes. I thought for sure you were going to ask about his highest grossing film in the trivia, and I would have been like, ah, it is The Crudes. And it's fine. The lengths I go to to stay one step ahead of you fuckers mm, keeps me up at night. And it is well worth it. I am glad that Aaron knows more about the crudes than the rest of us. Uh, and that occupies a part of his brain that could be occupied by something Malort related or something like that. Um, but that assuredly, Jason, got you enough time to settle upon an order. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, I'm not surprised that Aaron knows a lot about uh, being crude. I'm going to go with uh, Apropos of Nothing based only on how much I've heard about them recently because I'm not going to win this round. Pig, Arizona, Mandian Adaptation. Okay, okay, Mr. Fast Talker. I so feel like you're, Pig you're leading about a lot, yeah. Okay, so we got Pig as the first one, and can you say those again? Pig, Raising Arizona, Mandy, and Adaptation. All righty, and I am going to repeat those back in in slow Cody motion, just to make sure again it's the the naughty gods dictate I have to do this, but um just to make sure I get the order correct, we've got first pig, then raising Arizona, then Mandy, then adaptation with a period at the end. Stop on your right foot, don't forget it. Jason, do I have that order correct? You have that order correct. All right. Good soup. All right, moving along to Harry. Harry, what is the order that you settled upon? Was there anything that you wanted to throw out about your order, keeping in mind that you have two uh, contestants um, to go after you as well? Anything that would make for good hashtag content, the floor is yours for the next few I don't few think moments. that I'm a s- smart enough to influence the decisions of my two uh, co-hosts to follow, but I'm going to start with uh, lowest to highest. I'll go with adaptation because I feel like it. Can you can you go highest to lowest because that's the yeah. the order that I asked for? <laughs> oh, okay. um, I think I'm listening. Uh, okay, I'm going to start with pig at highest, um, and then I'll go Mandy, and then I'll go raising Arizona, and then I'll go adaptation. Roger Dodger. Okay, thank you. Um, I, Sorry, I, I'm, I didn't a big, I'm a big dum-dum. I, I can only go one way down the street and it's highest to lowest. Um, I, I prefer being high, Asada. Um, but uh, I'm going to repeat the order here. We've got, uh, we've got Pig, we've got Mandy. Following that, we've got Raising Arizona, and then we've got Adaptation with a period. Is that correct? Perfect. I'm getting the thumbs up. All right. We are moving right along here to Finn. Finn, what is the order that you settled upon? I'm thinking too hard about everything else, so I'm not going to think about this one. Um, Raising Arizona, Adaptation with a Period, and Mandy and Pig, because those both had like not very wide releases. Roger Dodger. Okay, so the order, just b- before we get our, our craftsmen to chisel that into a slab of concrete somewhere um, uh, on, the, um, on the West Coast, we've got Raising Arizona, Adaptation, with a period, Mandy and Pig. Do I have that right? Awesome. Alrighty. And finally, one Aaron Grossman. Give a shorter, Big Daddy. I did realize I could probably cheat this win just by copying Harry's, but I will not do that. Uh, I will do uh, my actual guess order, which is uh, highest, lowest, Raising Arizona, Adaptation, Pig, and then Mandy. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and reading those back, we've got um, do 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 raising Arizona adaptation brood, and then pig, and then Mandy. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. getting an uh, yeah. All right, excellent. Okay, those are all etched in stone. Everything's locked into place. I'm going to give a preemptive. Thank you for participating. Um, it is 4.30 in the morning. I'm glad we we made it through to this point. I'm now going to read off the... Well, just, it's fun to raise a fake uh, iron curtain every so often. I'm now going to read the correct order of highest to lowest um, uh, international gross of select works of one Nicolas Cage, starting with the highest grocer of the bunch, which is with $32.8 million dollars, Adaptation with a period. That is number one. Number two, with $29.2 million, Raising Arizona. Uh, Coming in at third with $3.8 million. Oink, oink, it's pig. And and bringing up the rear with $1.7 million, it is Mandy. So that is the order. If I did my math correctly, um, nobody got more than two points, and those two points went to Aaron, who was already in the lead, and so Aaron is the victor of this game where we all got a little cagey, and so Aaron, the floor is yours. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the winners usually pop off, so this is my uh, invitation to do so. Yeah, my, my quick note before I pop off is that uh, the my guesses was were, were all solely influenced and I mixed up adaptation raising Arizona solely influenced, not by the artsiness of the film, but with the general kind of boomer mindset understanding of how films work, uh, that these sorts of films just kind of generally don't make any money anymore. And that they used to maybe a little while ago. Uh, and, uh, so I don't know, that's a bummer. Uh, as far as me popping off, I, I look, I've won Cody's notice so much at this point, uh, that I don't even think I need to pop off. I mean, I mean, should I just hit his here, mute so button? I did I'll that. Just, one uh, was I'll hit it myself. Bye. Okay. I will uh, say this. Uh, you could have used a sound effect. No sound effects have really Those been questions are always fascinating to me. Um, because it's like, it reveals yeah. how very, very little I know about movies, which is always fun. Also the number one movie adaptation you said made 32 million. That is yeah. that is pretty abysmal. I guess. I mean, that's it probably a lot for that movie, movie, right? How much of the adaptation I guess, fucking yeah. cost? I guess it's budget, sure, but like movies but in the late nineties at all. It costs four hundred dollars to make. Wow. Uh, yeah, I I, yeah, I'm looking nineteen million, which I guess is still like that's a lot of money, obviously. But I'm just I like it, I'm yeah. so in my like film bro bubble that like it didn't even occur to me that mandy basically didn't have a theatrical release because nobody will shut the fuck up about that movie and it's it's been out forever and so i yeah it was like huge yes it was like art theaters midnight showings like that kind of you know and at the trilon later this summer hey oh fuck yeah let's go get to the trilon and see the nick cage film see or i'm sorry uh thank you so much cody for making the ends of our episodes a lot of fun every time uh except when aaron wins which it's a little bit less fun when that happens but you know during i guess during the the beating i can enjoy it but if i'm just laying on the ground bleeding it's not that much fun uh but yes you should check out the nick cage series nick cage national treasure playing at the trilon the rest of the summer through i think part of august uh check out the full list at trilon.org thank you so much finn odom for being on our podcast again remind people wherever they can find you and uh Uh, I guess, plug any pluggables you got uh, in this segment. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Finematic. Um, You can find me at the trial on every other Sunday. And I do want to plug two movies in particular. Uh, The weekend of the 22nd through the 24th of July, we are showing Santa Sangre. 
I'm very excited because I programmed this. Um, if you count emailing John and telling him to play it as programming, which I do. Um, and then at the end of August, we are having a double feature of Lucrecia Martel Films, who is a Argentine filmmaker. Um, that's really exciting. And I'll be working that weekend. So you can come say hi. I don't bite unless I'm provoked. Um, yeah, thanks for having me again. I'm surprised you let me come back. Uh, anytime. I do not know what would be considered provocation. Is it like if I hand foreign currency instead of a dollar bill? What would get me bitten across the counter at the Trilon? If you look me dead in the eye and say that you thought I was 13, that that might get you okay. a little provoked. But yeah. through, the, through the camera, I'm okay right now. No, absolutely oh, okay. not. I'll, 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 I'll abstain this time then. Thank you so much for being on our podcast again. Let us know when you want to be on again. Uh, and check out all films at the Trilon at trilon.org. Uh, and if you're not into visiting websites for some reason, they post a lot on social media at Trilon Cinema. Uh, but our little podcast here is called Trilove. It is a podcast about movies at the Trilon. We are only on Twitter at Trilove Podcast, but we also have an email account if you want to get in touch with us. It's at trilovepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can guess what my email is, but my Twitter is Nintendoofus. That's right. Uh, thank you, Finn, for being on this episode, and thank you for serving me popcorn earlier this evening. Uh, outside of the theater after the screening, we uh, thought of our, our favorite guy hiding under the truck character who talked about how badly he needed to, to take a piss. Uh, and we thought of him because it was a, uh, it was a long movie, 116 minutes, again, much longer than anybody should be doing anything and we all had to take a piss and I'm thinking of him right now because I never learn um, it's what I get for being a, a little kombucha boy this summer uh, but I've been Cody Narvison you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH I don't drink kombucha I've been Harry Mack and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry thanks Finn yeah thank you Finn uh, my name is Aaron and folks if you thought I didn't actually was gonna pop off uh, I don't know what you were thinking it's Aaron baby I'm fucking back Cody's Nodi's winner 2022 2021 2020 victories rack them up count them nobody else the we only reason Cody does trilibs at this point is to give you two a break alright Finn you, you you know you're a guest so it's fine but you two should be thankful every time there's not a quiz segment uh, no I'm just kidding uh, my name is Aaron you can find me on Twitter about you please Cody thanks for the great segment they somehow managed to get every creep and freak in the universe onto this one podcast and then somehow managed to let them take it over and then somehow managed to stick us right smack in the middle. Hey.